right, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the weekly KPC podcast, Deeper Still, with your host and the only speakers on this podcast, Steve and Jane. So far. So far. We should get some guest speakers. We need some guest speakers. (laughs) Right now, we're working on a list of guest speakers, and we are filming this on the afternoon of Thursday, which is a day later than usual. It's been kind of a crazy week. We thought today would be a nice, quiet lead-in, but... It's been a crazy day for me, so I want to start by praying today. Just yeah. get settled so we can really okay. dig deeper. Okay. God, thank you. We love you, and um, I think days like today, um, maybe seasons of life that a lot of folks are in, um, they really require us to be still. And um, in that in that prayerful stillness, know you all over again. That's really what we want, God. We want to go deeper. And uh, digging deeper, we're going to go a lot higher with you. So just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, the subject of this week's podcast is last week's sermon at KPC, which was on the entire book of Amos, all nine chapters. So we did a survey sermon, and there was a whole lot there we talked about, but a whole lot we didn't get to. Um, so Jane and I today are just going to... Um, really springboard, kind of dive deeper into some of the things that maybe got touched on or didn't get fleshed out. So uh, either one of us can start with anything. Jane, do you feel like uh, doing that today? Or um, Yeah, you just jump in. You don't, uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to give some background yeah, on okay. Amos. I'll do that. I'll do that real quick. Um, so Amos in a nutshell is this. Um, it is one of the most unique times in the Old Testament from the perspective or the viewpoint that it is one of the only times that Israel is peaceful and prosperous. Um, and remarkably, out of just a, a lot of blessing um, and things being well in order socially, economically, politically, Israel falls into complacency. So after all this struggle, they get fairly comfortable, they get complacent, and they forget God. And uh, the book of of Amos obviously has some very deep other themes, but the predominant theme throughout the book is um, it is is really what happens when the greatest commandments are violated, um, when we lose love for God. And, um, of course, that, that ties directly into just losing a love for, uh, for people. So having said that, um, let's talk about it a little bit in detail, Jay. Um, one thing that jumped out to me was uh, when you were talking about how God was uh, rebuking the nations around Israel. So these pagan nations that don't know him, they worship other gods he is rebuking them for their um, violence and their sinfulness and their, you know, just their crimes, you know. Which are great. Right, yeah. which are many. But one thing that, that you said was that anytime God rebukes in, in the Old Testament— it's and I, and today anytime, but especially in in the we see it in the Old Testament because I think a lot of people look at the Old Testament and they think God was a 
of, you know, vengeful, angry, you know, smiting everybody, killing everybody. Um, but all of that is always an invitation to himself. Um, which really just jumped out at me. That sounded like a really loud heartbeat. I know. <laughs> which just really jumped jumped out at me because I think it just shows the nature of God. It just shows his heart for everyone, for his mm-hmm. children, you know, yeah. for 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 his creation that even when we're terrible, doing terrible things, you know, he comes after us. And his his rebuke is is a call to himself, mm-hmm. a call to repentance, a call to into his love. I just I just love that. I don't know. It's, it's actually the, really the first time I thought about that in that way, um, especially in light of the God of the Old Testament. Yeah, and I didn't get to really dig much into that um, because we were covering so much. But um, you know, just the logic of. If it was a final judgment, it would just happen. But the fact that, like you said, God announces it, God speaks it, why announce it to people? It's saying, yeah, this is definitely on the way. Turn to me and live. Which actually is a a phrase that's repeated um, four different ways, but four distinct times in chapter 5. Turn to me and live. Come to me and live. Seek me and live, says the Lord. And an even more condensed example of that are the Ninevites with Jonah. You know, Jonah, go and announce my judgment. And what God's about to do to Nineveh is, I mean, it's Sodom and Gomorrah type stuff, but what happens? The nation hears, they turn to God, and salvation happens. And yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it was a long time ago that I had that realization that, you know, when God speaks, you know, it's not, haha, I'm angry, I cannot wait, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to enjoy every blow. There's nothing you can do. It's <laughs> turn to me. I love you. I, I wouldn't. I won't. Holiness is bringing this your way. Holiness and your sin is bringing this. Um, my heart is to rescue you. Mm. Yeah. Good. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I I, th- I thought another very interesting um, note in or uh, storyline in. Um, Amos is that God starts with the nations, but then he goes to his people. And the focus of Amos is really calling the people to repentance. In fact, two-thirds or actually three-fourths of Amos is God dealing with his people, Mm -hmm. um, which just really shows that judgment begins with the house of God. You know, it's there's such an us and a them mindset, I think, in the church a lot of times. Those dirty people out there. We glorious sinners in here. Um, but judgment does begin with us. You know, repentance begins when God's people, you know, uh, some of those people think, oh, well, revival begins when the world turns to God. No, it's when the people of God do. Healing comes. Um, and I, I just love that. Um, you know, it's not a, hey, you guys are up on my holy mountain. You're amazing, my people. The rest of the world stinks. But, you know, God... God just loving his people back to himself, um, calling us to the way of life. And you can't miss that in Amos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then, too, the, the specific crimes for 
God's people were the greatest commandment for the other nations, like you said. It's bloodshed, it's cruelty, it's violence, it's destruction, it's desecration. But for the people of God, the, the two sins are very simple. Mm. And they're the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. And which is obviously pointing to a very empty, hollow worship. And maybe we could talk about that for a second. Just what it, what does it mean to really love the love the Lord your God fully for the church today? For them, it was their the church is really uh, the temple is alive in Amos, but it's what happens outside the temple that really washes all that out for God's people. A lot of them have idols on the side. Mm. Um, uh, you know, the, there, there's an incredible hypocrisy among the leadership. You know, they're getting up and preaching amazing messages, reading the Word of God, leading people in ritual, sacrifice, prayer, and on the side, the priests are living a very different life. Um, and, of course, that comes to, comes home to us just with worship today. What does it mean to worship God fully? What does it look like when we don't? I don't know if you've had any thoughts on that at all. or What does it mean to worship God fully? Yeah. Well, one thing that um, this isn't really answering your question exactly, but maybe in a roundabout way, um, that I is interesting about this time in Israel's life is that it's one time in Scripture where they actually are very prosperous. Mm-hmm. They are... Um, did you say this already and I missed it? Uh, I barely, barely grazed across <laughs> it, yeah. They're, they're really prosperous. They're thriving financially, um, just in every possible way. So... It's interesting to me that in so for for me I just ask the question what are they doing with their those resources you know they're not using them or or you know to worship fully to worship to love the Lord and then the second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself I think that is something that um I think we could explore a little bit if you want to just that, you know, what do we, what do we do with what we're given? Yeah. And, and I I think that's part of the dilemma. Um, even, even trying to answer that question, what does it mean to love God? It can't be divorced from loving other people. And I think that's one of the themes of Amos is that, um, you know, we really can't tell if they don't mean it when they're chanting, singing, praying in church, we, we know that from some of the verses, but we don't get to see it. But God hits them again and again and again with the sin of neglecting the poor, depriving justice to the innocent, um, hoarding resources. You know, they, they have the opportunity to bless and they just don't. Right. And you can't miss that. That ties into love for God. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jesus said, um, you know, and what you do for the least that, of these, you've done that. it unto me. I was me. just thinking of that exact same scripture. And I think that's why when, when you talk about the greatest commandment, you know, even when you refer to it, okay, you know, it says in Mark, it says in Matt, uh, you know, here's the greatest commandment. You can't read it without without finishing, and the second is just like it. Right. And they're not too, you know, yes, they're separate in that one points to God and one points to man, but they can't be separated. Right. You know, and so the idea of, well, hey, I've just got this rich, living, vibrant faith with God, and it's just me and God, and we're in this euphoric, 
you know, heights of, of ecstasy and glory and there's nothing for anyone else. It just doesn't work. It is absolutely right. linked. Um, so then to, to worship fully, you have to uh, love others. Yeah. They're, they're, you can't worship fully. Like, just as you're saying, you cannot, we cannot, Israel could not worship fully, love the Lord their God without that flowing outwards to others. And they were treating, you know, others around them poorly. Yeah, right, to neglect the least <laughs> right, they was not to love God. You know, um, to take care of the widow and the orphan. Right. This is true. What, you know, true religion. Um, but isn't that scary for the church today? Because you have so many, and I think we've mentioned this before, but you have so many ghetto churches, mm-hmm. at least in this nation. Um, you know, churches that we, we kind of build up these walls, and we have this community life on the inside, inside yeah. and there's the rest of the world going to hell right. around us or in need and right. lost and aching. And um, we could, and it's terrifying to think you can do that. You can have a right. a real active right. religious life, worship services, a church, and not do outreach, not do evangelism. Right. And what does that mean? I mean, it's terrifying in light of Amos and in light of the words of Jesus. It kind of reminds me of, uh, and I'm not. You can help me with the scripture, but um, um. You know, that God sees our, um, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to get it right, but the filthy rags, you know, like that we, our worship to him is, I feel like I'm combining two scriptures here, you know, but our worship to him, if it's, if it's just words, if it's just action without the outflowing towards others, yeah, all of our righteousness is just filthy rags. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Are you looking up a scripture? Yeah, I was just looking it up as, as you're sitting there talking. Okay. Um, yeah, so... so but, but I was just... So I was thinking, like, okay, so... How did this happen, though? Like, the history uh, of... Huh. Yeah, of where we are today. Because I feel like... What I think is somewhere in the 80s, we became a very, and when I say we, I mean the evangelical church became a church that started, as you were, as you, you, as you say, to use your word, became ghetto churches where we, you know, became very inward focused and focused on ourselves, focused on um, good things in some ways, you know, like discipleship. Those are good things to be focused on. Discipleship, uh, really getting into the word. And um, and there was a big push, I think, for evangelism, you know, in the 80s. But I don't think that it resulted in loving the world. Yes, and... Where, how did we get here, I think, is, is one of the right. questions. Because um, I do think there were good things ha- happening, but I don't think we, we, we've ended up in the place where that maybe we wanted to end up in. I think we're, we're more in a place now in the evangelical church where we don't want to engage the world. 
Um, and maybe it's because we don't have a set program. You know what I mean? Like we had in the 80s evangelism explosion, which, you know, it was great, right? It was getting people out witnessing and 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 now we don't necessarily have that program and so i don't know people don't want to get out so we're missing something yeah. is what i'm saying we're missing the connection with the lord with god our god that that just compels us to love all. Yeah, I wonder if some of it is tied to complacency, the same type of complacency that we see in Amos, because I know, you know, when you look at times throughout America's history when um, the church was heavily engaged in society, um, you know, you can point to uh, uh, just these bursts of salvation, you know, great numbers coming to the Lord. You know, you look at it, and a lot of it was in the earlier part of America's history where we were growing, we were becoming. Um, you know, we had to work together to make the society work. You know, as a, as a nation, America struggled for a long time, and in that struggle, uh, the church seems to thrive. And yet, as America has become wealthy, mm. um, you know, as 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 comforts have increased, we've become more isolated, more individual. Um, you know, we've sectioned ourselves off. I think some of it is very much like the time in, Ace, in Amos where um, comfort breeds contempt. Yeah. There, there really is, is, is a big part of that. And I think, too, you know, as a society gets comfortable, you know, it, it, it's interesting with, with most nations that, you know, is usually when you're growing, your back's up against the wall, you're at your very best. You get comfortable and, um, you know, you, you also get... Um, you know, you see a loosening of morality. Um, you know, you see suddenly, uh, you know, society can, you know, kind of try new things. And, you know, I think of the decadence of Rome, mm. um, you know, and I, and I just look back to the to the 70s when you look at, you know, the ex- experimentation of drugs, you look at free love. And then the church, instead of going, uh-oh, we've got a problem. We need to re-engage. We need to break out of our country clubs and our us, us, you know, uh, you know, this is just for us and get out there and we need to love these guys, whether they're hippies or whatever. We need to love them. We need to share Christ. Suddenly they become the enemy. Right. You know, they become the enemy and, and the church. I remember in the 80s um, uh, in the state university, we were all in intervarsity mm-hmm. and one of the big books at the time was Pursuing Holiness, which is a great book by Jerry Bridges. But I just remember the focus of us as college students was our holiness, right. our betterment, right. our improvement. Right. There's a campus full of lost kids right. around us. Now, we're all growing in Christ, but it really has become an us thing. Right. And I see the same parallel with the church. that you know. Right, and I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that we we focused on that we focused on on our holiness mm-hmm. our growing in Christ our you know making disciples well not making making disciples in the church <laughs> you know if people came into the church then we definitely wanted to make disciples of them you're yeah, kind of an attractional church if right, you come to us we're ready right. but being missional going and i think that's the big difference we, even but today but we lost the other side of yeah. the, we lost the other side of the coin you know if, if it's too coin too if it's a coin 
if the two sides are, are, you know, loving God and our holiness, and then the other side is loving your neighbor as you love yourself, right. we lost that side somehow. Yeah. Which I think is what was happening in Amos. Right. And, and what's interesting is that the church in general has had this open door policy and it's like, well, hey, because our doors are open to the world, that's great. Problem is that's not biblical. To have open doors, is, that's not a biblical principle. To go out of those open doors to the world, <laughs> right, that's the principle. Right. And I think, too, you know, part of the, the, the storyline back in the 80s was our holiness and the other, other side of it was their sin. Right. And, you know, and again, their that, sin was going to, uh, you know, darken our holiness. Right. Right. So, you know... And again, we homeschool, so I can say this, but I think, you know, the homeschool movement, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people kind of came up with, you know, that mentality of we got to circle the wagon, let's circle the wagons, let's, you know, take care of, of our own, take care of our kids, take care of our, our family, our group here, we got to take care of, of who's inside the circle of wagons and anyone that's outside of that, you know, it, it became a very, um, protective mentality you know it's our kids can't go to school our kids can't and it just it somehow it it morphed into fear of the world and and you know that us being out there among (laughs) was going to somehow taint us instead of us being the aroma of christ instead of us being the ones you know, that we're making the change, being different, influencing the the lives around us. And homeschooling is just one example about how that happened. But, you know, all of a sudden social justice became a bad word in yeah. the church, you know, that became, but but that's, that's the gospel. Yeah. Well, I want to back up before you go there, because I okay. think that is gigantic, but you just said fear and I, and that is key here. There becomes this fearful mindset toward the world of they're dirty, you know, they're sinful. There's this fear against the world, but it's not just pointed outwards. It also backfires in the church. I can think of so many times, um, even up to the present, you know, through through the, the 90s since I've been preaching up through, you know, 2019. Good gosh, we've been doing this a while. But, um, you know, the the... the, the number of times that somebody will come up and say, hey, we need to preach more about sin. We need to preach more about sin in the church. We need to talk about sin more in the church. We need to make sure the next generation coming up knows about sin. You don't preach about against homosexuality enough or against, you know, whatever it is, you know, drinking and drugs and, and <laughs> adultery. and But so, so fear even begins to, to, you know, find its way into the church. Um, so it's not like we're just, prote- we really aren't protected. It comes back on us. And but then the, you said, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was, but but the problem with that approach to the gospel of preaching sin is that what what is at the root of that is fear through fear being manifested through trying to manipulate people right. in their behavior. You know, we have to preach sin so that people will know you know, people will behave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We need Christians to behave. I mean, that's, 
that's not the gospel. We people when people are in sin, they know it. Yeah, we don't need people to. We don't. They don't need. You know, I don't need someone to tell me that. I know it because you know. But so that's not the gospel. That's not the point. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's that's where humility comes in. Does that mean we don't talk about sin? Absolutely not. Of course, we talk about sin. You know, it, it's it's in the Word. We preach through it. All of that, but. I think a, a, a healthy, maturing Christian realizes God has already dealt with sin through the cross. The good news is not 19 pages of sin, and oh yeah, by the way, there's an empty grave, you know, there's an empty tomb, but it, it is the life, the love of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, you know, the outreach of Jesus, the becoming in Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, it's a very different message, I think, when we get mm-hmm. that Christ has dealt with sin. Right. And he's dealing with more sin. I mean, you and I are works in progress as well. Right. But for that to be the theme of the church, you know, the bread and butter of the church, um, I, I remember growing up, and that was that was the bread and butter of the church I went to as a child, as a young child. And a church was pretty miserable, you know. I left feeling pretty bad most days instead of just amazed and overcome by the glory and the goodness and the lavish love of God. And I think that's why, and we, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm getting off track here a little bit, but I think that's why it's, it's hard to look for people to, um, who grow up in that kind of environment, which I did also to, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because why do I want to love someone who's just mad and and wants me just to behave and just act right and just, you know, just do what's right, do this, and I will love you. I mean, why do you want to, why do you want to love someone like that? That, it, it just becomes, it was just, it was a misrepre- misrepresentation of who, God really is. Well, you said this to me the other day, Jane, and you might have been quoting somebody. Um, either way, I still attribute you with brilliance for holding on to it. But, um, you know, the the idea in, in, uh, in the Gospels, the story of Jesus, is Jesus didn't come to save us from God. And I think that's the mindset that I grew up was, I really need Jesus to save me from God. Um, and it's it's getting away from that. Um, very deliberately. And um, okay, so you also mentioned this is interesting. You said social justice. I have been thinking too that um, there is a, is a misunderstanding between the social gospel and social justice. I think, at least in this part of the country, the two words have gotten mixed up. Um, you know, uh, there is a thing called the social, uh, the, you know, the social gospel. Um, which is, you know, and it, re- it really is a very broken, um, counterfeit gospel, which says, hey, look, you know, when it comes to humanity, man is not that bad, hmm. you know. Um, it, it, it also, uh, with the social gospel movement, another one of the themes was cultural restoration is the gospel. That, that really is the gospel. If we could just restore society and the culture, you know, impoverished areas, whatever, that is the gospel. And and also there was a third tenet of it, which is individual salvation just doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, which we've seen some national leaders that uh, Christian leaders kind of jump the shark on that. 
But that's not social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, social gospel, that's social gospel. Social justice is um, that we are to engage with the, with the world as Christians. You know, uh, we are to be salt and light. Like you said, we are to be the, array, uh, uh, the, the aroma, the fragrance of Christ, that we're the ones Jesus said go to. We're supposed um, to be feeding the yeah. poor, um, feeding the hungry, yeah. clothing the poor. That we are supposed to be doing. That, that is that right. is the gospel, and that the least of Jesus matters. Christ yeah. doing those things. Those things, though, somehow I get maybe that's that maybe that was the problem was that it got confused with social gospel, and so I think the church abdicated their role in social justice. Um, they they let the government, you know, do it. They they let other churches that were willing to do it do it. They, um, at least the evangelical church, right? Really, most of them, not not all of them, of course. But um, I mean, the church I grew up in, I, I don't I don't even ever remember talking about those things, mm-hmm. talking about feeding the poor, or. Um, give you know giving to anyone unless it was overseas mission right that was it that was our whole focus of of giving was overseas mission i just don't even remember any kind of when i think locally what happens locally in a lot of communities is that the church treats treats local outreach like they treat international missions you know well we'll send money across town to this ministry that's doing some good and that is a good thing, but that we are called to be engaged, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, um, you know, in, in low-income housing, whether it's with widows in the community. And it's not just them, because you bring the lost into that as well. The lost also are the least. Sure. But, you know, if there's a college campus nearby, you know, the, the church can ransack all of these areas for the kingdom of God if we'll just get out there. I mean, um, I know here we started reaching out, and, and the beauty of it is social justice leads to the gospel in people's lives. Like we, um, uh, I couldn't tell the story on Sunday because the person was in the room. Um, and uh, so if you're listening to this, hey, this is for you. <laughs> but we recently, one of the things this church has, has started doing is there's a, a trailer park r- literally across the street. I mean, it's a mile away. And um, it's the largest trailer park in the area. And a few months ago, our youth pastor took the lead, Mark, um, our, our assistant pastor, took the lead and just said, hey, we need to start doing some outreach out there. And so we got together as a church, and the whole church is not engaged yet, but a, a good percentage of the church is going out there doing things like rap, wrapping pipes for the winter. Yeah, you mentioned um, that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean for podcast listeners, yeah. you know, wrapping pipes— um, meeting practical needs, putting clothes on people's back who needs it. A, a few of those people have started coming here from that. Mm. You reached out to me and loved me. I really want to see what you're about. Mm-hmm. I want to hear what it is that drives you to do this. And it's it's this idea of social justice leads people back to the cross. Right. It, you know, it leads them through the open door of the church. We walk together with them to this place where... They're now hearing about right. Jesus, and they wouldn't be here right. had the church not gone out. I pray we get infected with that yeah. as a church. I do want to say just as a, and and also, <laughs> that um, 
you know, it's not just the poor and the needy right. <laughs> who need Christ. And and I do think that we as the evangelical church, we need to, um, it's, it's, it's an easy entry point, I think, and 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 the and Jesus does call us to take care of the the widows and the orphans and the and the poor. I mean, that definitely, and so it's an easy entry way to meet people's physical needs. Right. Like that's such an easy way to, you know, let me meet your physical need, and then maybe that will lead to, or it can lead to. It gives me an open door to share for you to come to church or whatever, but. Um, but our call is to love all. That's right. All, everybody, no matter what your social standing is or your social status or your, you know, whatever, wherever you are in society, our call is to love all. Yeah. And that's that's where that criticism has come from about the social gospel. Yeah, if that's all you do are feed people who are hungry and there is no Jesus at the end of that. You know, if that doesn't lead... If that doesn't open the door for you to share your story, you know, your testimony, then the criticisms of a social gospel are valid, you know. Yeah, you went out there and you fed 50 people at a soup kitchen, and that was the, and you're calling that evangelism. It's got to be followed by the good news, but you're right, it's not just the poor. It's everybody in our world needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. So a challenge for the church today, absolutely. Um, and that was the challenge of, of Amos's day, that they, uh, God would not let his people get away with being an insulated, isolated group of people. Um, yeah, I just, I think that's my takeaway, is that we, you, we just can't, I just don't, I just think it's so um, interesting that this was, one time when Israel was absolutely prosperous, but what they chose to do with their prosperity was not honoring yeah. to God. And I think that's my takeaway mm. is that, you know, if if I am loving the Lord and loving others, I, I just, I have to ask myself, what am I doing? Yeah, that's right. With my resources with my time with everything that I have that I live in this middle class America and I have so much what am I doing with Mm. what I have and not just financial resources or whatever but you know emotional time mental time physical time you know what what am I doing with that how am I loving others you know by yeah so anyway, that's, that's my takeaway. You know, one one of the things that really struck me at the end of this, I did this on uh, uh, Monday or Tuesday, I don't remember, but I was just reflecting a little bit for the podcast and thinking about the church in light of the message. And, um, you know, it made me realize that it's very easy. You know, we're called to be a missional people. And a lot of times what happens in the church is we become an attractional people, you know, we become an attractional church. And I just wrote down a couple of, just a few, um, you know, uh, descriptors of attractional versus missional. And this is, these can all be challenged because they came from me. So, uh, <laughs> but a, an attractional church has come to us. Um, it is dominated by programs. Uh, well, I'll contrast them. Attractional church has come to us. A missional church says go to them. Mm. 
Um, an attractional church is driven by programs. A missional church is um, they're passionate about outreach. An attractional church is uh, often very invested in Christian education, whereas a missional church is all about discipleship, which are very different, can be very different. An attractional church says, be like us. A missional church says, become like Christ. Um, uh, an attractional church can often be behavior-driven, whereas, uh, whereas a missional church will be spirit-led and uh, be more concerned with holiness. Uh, attractional church um, is often very concerned about their worship style. A missional church is very concerned about worship as a lifestyle. Um, uh, let's see if there are any other good ones here. Uh, yeah, attractional church is all about getting people to church. Uh, missional church is is very much about sharing Christ with the lost. Um, those are just a, a just a, a few little descriptors. Them uh, missional is them uh, is very them conscious. Attractional is very us conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so a few challenges today from the word and uh i don't know any any parting thoughts as you close the podcast jane now you want me to wrap it up yeah and maybe invite him back next week i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you know like you said we're we you and i personally are on this journey for sure we don't have it all figured out um i think we're asking the lord a lot what does it mean for us to for you and I personally and our family to be others-focused, missional, I guess. Um, And we're also asking what does that mean for KPC Mm -hmm. to be outward-focused. Because, you know, the thing is we've, we've got so many people and so many Christians are um, just full of goodness and good things, you know, that they, they really just need to turn outward and, and give it away yeah. so that, that they can be filled up again. It's just a continuing process, yeah. giving it away so the Holy Spirit can fill us back up. So those are my parting thoughts. Okay. Yeah, we're starting a, a new series. How many weeks is it going to be? 12 weeks? Eight. Oh, eight weeks. Yes. Well, I just made it 12. Good. Okay. So now 12 weeks. <laughs> Eight weeks on the Old Testament. Old Testament greats. Um, maybe Onyx, you, you talk about it, the new series. Eight weeks of the Old Testament greats. Yep. But, but people like Amos, maybe that you haven't, like we don't know a whole lot about. Yeah. This week, Naaman, who's another person that most folks don't know a lot about, he's, he's the focus this week. So it, it really, it's uh, one of our millennials on staff <clears throat> named it BC <laughs> squared uh, biblical characters before Christ. And like it really it. is. I like it. It's really fun because it, it um, you know, there's so much richness in the Old Testament, but we're, we're pointing out Jesus a lot in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which is fun yeah. to say even before he, even before he comes here, he's here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. So yeah. it's fun. All right. So eight weeks next week, Naaman. And then the week after that, Josiah, Mark is preaching that one. So 
there'll be plenty of illustrations and video to go along with that sermon if I know Mark. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us today. See you next week. Well, hear you next week. Bye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.